Liftoff will start in T minus 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We have ignition. Ahoy, everyone. It's time to set sail on another episode of Unconstitutional Awakening. Of course, this is going to be part two to our Paradise Ranch special that we're doing, which is kind of a, a deep dive into uh, where things started that led up to like Blue Beam and a lot of current things that are going on now. And in this episode, we're going to deep into uh, dive into like Operation Paperclip and what it did to lead up to things. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Operation Paperclip, but it was a code name for a monumental illegal importation importation of more than 1,600 high level. Nazi scientists and about 10,000 German refugees and engineers and aerospace and munitions experts and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, I guess a lot of people are always like, well, what, why the hell did they do this? Or, you know, what, what good of it, you know, what was the good in bringing over all these, you know, these evil folks, you know, I've, I've got my own theories that go quite along the lines of, uh, the real Nazi party, didn't ever lose they just this is going to be controversial but they just turned on the guy that was originally their leader because he was actually going a different route than they were and you know they continue to do their evil eugenics experiments and such and move it to america because you can't really change my mind that this is the fourth reich <laughs> but but let's get you know we're going to jump into all this kind of stuff and discuss about how uh you know the cia and the fbi and all of them had their hands and getting all these people over here and you know leading into nasa and a bunch of all kinds of like weird crazy things dealing with lockheed and you know how skunk works kind of tied back into it and such but before i get too far into it you guys you know i need to uh give a little bit of credit where credit's due so i appreciate all you folks that are out there that uh be watching us on rumble and bitch shoot and odyssey and everybody listening platform wide i enjoy all I, I see you folks over there on the apple podcast area starting to get a little bit more so than you used to now that we're officially on there so you know that's great and you know you guys can help keep this stuff going going afloat because uh it's not cheap for me at all by uh going and checking out our uh our all of our cool sponsors that we got going on. You can check out our main sponsor, Kirk Elliott over there. He's at a uh, Kirk Elliott PhD forward slash Jim Bob and it's deals with like gold and silver consulting and such and that stuff's kind of good for you you know especially not knowing where money's going to go gold and silver will always hold value i don't care what anybody says to me like it's held value the entire time of human existence it'll hold value even when i'm long and gone so you guys make sure you check him out and you know give him a little bit of love and whatnot you can also check out peachy key creations she's got all kinds of good candles and stuff like that she's currently just on uh facebook She's got a whole new list of uh, candles coming out and going on, and she's soon to have a whole bunch of cool new uh, soaps and whatnot coming out for you guys. So that'll be good for everybody that's going on. And uh, you guys also know about our our favorite buddy that we had on the other night, Ammo Can, and all the cool stuff he's got going on over there with <clears throat> with his uh, excuse me, with all of his 
survival stuff and his plate carriers and things like that you guys go go over there and he'll get you a custom order you know that's just kind of how he rolls dealing with that he's he's a real good dude and you guys can help support a lot of folks if you guys can get over there and help support him too and our of course our newest uh sponsor that you guys need to go get over there and check out especially if you're in the world of homeschooling which i am myself and this guy's been a great asset to have if you get over there and check out our newest oop, you guys get over there and check out our newest sponsor over there on classicallearner.com he'll get you signed up with a cool code that we've got in our links down there that'll get you uh like ten dollars off of signing up for his curriculums and a bunch of the extra stuff that he sends with you going to classicallearner.com so you guys make sure you give him a check out and don't forget to get over there and check out our unconstitutional awakening merch that you can find on unconstitutionalawakening.com there's a uh, link right back to it and it's got all the cool little symbols on our website there on cool shirts and stuff that you can wear for yourself so anyway how's everyone doing this evening Fantastic. Spectacular. Spectacular. It's good to see. I see you up there, Luis. I'm glad you decided to join us on another one of these episodes. You know, I love having you around. It's uh it's it's good to have one of those I don't know. I, I, I view your perspective different than everyone else's because you do live in the city and live in a little lot more modern times than I do. I'm kind of lost in the past. So your your perspective on a lot of things is very appreciated. And of course you guys know this Paradise Ranch. This was a this was a birth child of uh Neptune and Morpheus and Black Morpheus has been in there helping us out getting this one straight up because uh he's got a lot of good information on it too. So I guess let's just where do you guys want to start? Go ahead, Neptune. Yeah. So you know thinking back to the you know kind of the the middle years of the of the second world war where this where the plans to try to co-opt uh, uh germany's top scientists really started to foment and in, in in and around 43 44 uh jcs didn't approve the operation until the closing days of the war but at any rate um uh, i think it's important to start there because uh technologically speaking germany was miles away from from the rest of the world during the war i think we can all agree on that and you know the thing about paperclip that makes it so controversial is obviously from the from the perspective of the united states uh we did give passage uh to a lot of scientists uh a lot of them had been involved in a lot of controversial operations that germany had uh been committed to during the war uh, obviously, a lot of them were members of the Nazi Party. So, in direct effect, a lot of them were standing Nazis that were essentially given a pardon by the U.S. And, you know, when I think about the, the research that I've done into Paperclip, what stands out the most to me is how JCS essentially wanted to make sure that we got our hands on all of the rocket technology. That was super important to, uh, to JCS commission that established paperclip uh, at the time. It initially, had been known as Operation Overcast. And apparently, the way in which they found out who they wanted to recruit, specifically the top scientists, came out of a place <laughs> at, I forget the, I forget, I forget, it was a college, I believe, they found this list of names in a toilet. <laughs> they found this list of names in the toilet. And anyway, um, SOE uh, operatives found the list. They sent it to MI6. 
and MI6 sent that over to the OSS, uh, CIA's precursor. And, so, and I would like to add to that, if possible, just, you know, um, a year before Paperclip was officially launched, um, the, the Supreme Headquarters uh, Allied Expeditionary Force, SHAEF, they set up T-Force, which was like a special subdivision that had about 2,000 or so personnel. And they examined over 5,000 German targets with a high priority, um, not just on the jets and the rockets, but also synthetic rubber and oil catalysts, new design and armor equipment. And then, of course, you know, where we're heading with all this, the V-2 weapons and the jets and the rocket-propelled aircraft. So I think they could have also, you know, that could have been a precursor to paperclip, like maybe an intel gathering operation. I'll take you back even further than that. I'll take you back to right after World War One, when Ford made a great deal with Nazi Germany to start supplying them with engines and all kinds of other stuff that in return for other technology that they were using to help do that stuff. Ford was yeah. big into the Nazi party. Oh, yes, he was. Uh, and he was friends with Ferdinand Porsche. Uh, Ferdinand Porsche, excuse me. Uh, he was friends with him. And as everyone knows, Vol Volkswagen, the car of the people, was a product of <laughs> people's <Nazi Germany>. car. <laughs> yeah, it, that is a product of the Third Reich. So is IBM. So, so is Hugo yeah. Boss's fame because Hugo Boss so designed the, the, well, uh, yeah. the uniforms of the SS soldiers was designed yeah. by Hugo Boss. Um, that's why right. they look so nice and cool. It's like, oh, great. The, the, they the are real nice looking. Out. I mean, I know, I know they're yeah, evil they and all, are, but they, they did have really nice uniforms. <laughs> Isn't it weird <laughs> that the fascists have the best fashion? Isn't it horrific? I, I so, designed the barcodes that were used in the concentration. IBM. Oh, so, and they were planning to do that here, too, with, so with here's, a lot of people. But that's a whole different topic. So we can we can expand on this topic because this is substantial to the motivation behind why we actually recruited all those Nazi scientists, high level engineers, pretty much all of staff, including Werner von Braun's. He got all of his people. They brought over every single person who worked for him. <laughs> when he was at Redstone Arsenal. So, but that's, that's something worth pointing out. So, you know, the, 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 the way I liken it is, so obviously Germany had their motivations in cultivating the arts and sciences. And accordingly, the, the research that led to that, uh, Germany had some of the brightest minds in the entire world. The doctor's trial in particular comes to mind. Uh, so at, if you're not familiar, the doctor's trial was one of several of the Nuremberg trials, uh, the continuing trials that went on after the high, after the OKW trial. But at any rate, there was a, a lot of motivation there to take Germany's smartest people uh, if for no other reason than to make sure we had a strategic advantage over the Soviets and uh, there is a book uh, that, Jimmy, I think you said you'll put it in the links. Uh, it's worth reading. It is long. It is an audio book on Amazon. And it kind of it, it goes into detail about how we saw the enemy of my enemy is my friend in the Nazis. And that is super, super important. The reason I mention this is really... We distrusted Russia before the war even began. 
uh, can be argued that we allied with the Soviet Union as a strategic means of necessity. To that end, uh, we hated communism from the day it was born, uh, as far as America is concerned. The red fear in the 20s predated Joseph McCarthy's uh, war on communism in the 40s and 50s. But at any rate, it's worth, uh, it's worth pointing out that that is a significant book I think everyone should read for no other reason than to understand that we made allies of the Nazis because they hated communism as much as the U.S. did. And yeah, and that was the entire... That, um, that author, Annie Jacobson, um, she has put out... Uh, you got me hip to her, obviously, but she's put out a lot more work about Paperclip and the recruitment of Nazis that I do actually recommend because it's not from any kind of slanted political point of view. And um, I, I, in the links for this podcast too, there'll be a short interview with her explaining um, some of her work for people to, to catch at a later time. Cause I, I, I agree with you that it's extremely um, in, informational. Yeah. yeah that, that book I believe is 20, the story of 26 particularly prominent uh, people that were selected. So imagine she has 19 hours worth of audio just out of 26 people. video documentaries too. I, I just started skimming the surface um, last night and this morning of, and it's a lot. It's a lot. They uh, are very detailed. That person is extremely detailed. Yeah, um, Annie, Annie Jacobson, she has a substantial body of work on uh, uh, a lot of things around uh, the dealings of the U.S. military and some of the things we've actually already talked about and will be talking about, in fact. So Annie Jacobson is very well published. I do put a lot of faith in her reading because it is objective. It, it tries not to take a political stance to Morpheus's point. Which is important uh, in history. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, to, but to that end, so we obviously, Paperclip as we know it came about in the very final stages of the war. And they identified uh, those names based on who was working on what projects, because apparently this, uh, this list of names also provided some con context to who Germany thought they needed to recall from the front, because as most people know, except for top scientists, um, most everyone in Germany had been conscripted to fight. So with the exception of the very top scientists, they had to issue a recall order to bring back additional scientists, researchers, engineers, physicists, etc. So there was a really long list. And uh, Jimmy, I think you said, what was the to final count on that? 1600 people in total? Not well, it was it, it, it is it. There's a list. All right. There's the that list includes 1600 German scientists and, you know, a mixture of different fields of science that they have and, uh, you know, doctors and things like that. And then there was still like in kind of shadowed in all of that that uh, Luis actually sent to me later and I went and did a little bit of digging around it. They used it as another means to also bring in a butt ton of German refugees. I'm talking on the ups yeah. of 10,000 people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 The little quotation marks. You were exactly right. Like put into like manufacturing sectors and different major sectors of our economy. Like that is 
um, you know, I'm a Detroiter and in Detroit's old days, it was, uh, had a lot of German political refugees yes. move there oh, when yeah. the auto industry was booming, ironically enough. So I, you know, I, there's a lot of, there's, there's a clear drawn line um, when you go up into places, especially up in the Northeast like that. Like uh, I spent some time in, in Buffalo and you know, it's predominantly Polish and Irish and Italian, but you do have these whole areas that are straight up just like, like horn blowing beer drinking German folks that have been there since not long after World War Two. Brazil and Argentina oh, of course, Brazil. Too. Yeah. Oh, well, South America the, the was a strong Luftwaffe. <laughs> Luftwaffe left to, to Argentina. On that point, um, and it ties into Paperclip and Bluebeam and everything we're trying to discuss here. We discussed Wright Pat Air Force Base in Ohio um, on the last. Oh, there's episode. a clip I put up. So, of that's and in the Air Force. So, Base. anyways, there's a town that's called Germantown, Ohio. Yep. For a very specific reason, because the town was founded and it was all German immigrants that founded this town in the middle of the cornfields. And they had a lot of money randomly, like out of the blue. It was all this gold. I don't know where they got all this gold from. Right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do you one better on that subject, too, while we're talking about the, the influx of Germans. Because uh, they let them time. bring stuff. Also, I didn't. I didn't see anywhere if they like. Yeah. They let them bring things with them, like art, gold, right. all these things Artifacts. that suddenly disappeared. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I do you one better. So I'm from South Carolina originally, and uh, BMW America's headquarters is in Greenville, South Carolina, about 45 minutes from where I grew up. There is also a substantial ethnic, historically German population that lives down there. And the increase corresponded with the, the, the time in the 40s and early 50s, uh, around the time BMW uh, started making its moves into the United States. So that's interesting, uh, Jimmy, to your point that we never really holistically moved away i think from what i want to know is why there's so many blue hair uh blue-eyed blonde-haired argentinians running around <laughs> i mean argentina <laughs> did have a, a big po italian population before uh i mean there's a lot of explanation but there was a lot of white people in argentina because they essentially murdered all of the natives hey, hey, we, that's horrible. the names like gustav can we touch on um Werner von Braun for a moment. Um, yeah. You know, I, a lot, some of our listeners may or may not know this, but, you know, one of the first things von, von Braun developed it and published was a concept for a space station uh, during the Cold War. So the U.S. government can contain the Soviet Union. Um, and this all ties into they wanted these brilliant Nazi scientists to defeat the Soviets, as Neptune said. And the whole idea was to have an orbit to ground warfare landscape. And so these Nazi scientists that we recruited are absolutely essential in the things we already covered, like Lockheed Skunk Works and a lot of the major military technology in the United States. And I, I think that's something that outside of this podcast, you know, outside the people here right now, a lot of people overlook. Yep. Uh, something else worth noting about Dr. Von Braun is that um, 
So he is the father of the V2 program. The 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 vengeance weapon program. Could you explain what's what was the V2? So so the V2 program essentially was a rocket propulsed rocket propulsion system uh, delivering ordnance. I forget the uh, specifics, but uh, I can double check. It was able to reach a from Germany to the UK. Correct. The V2 Uh, technology was able to go and hit. The UK, so many of right. the UK and targets, which the UK was like, how the heck are they doing this? How are they hitting us all the way from Germany? And uh, it was it was the te- it was a mix of the rockets. But before, if you look up German cannons, okay. the German cannons on top of the train, the trains, because they were so right. big, they had to literally put them in a cart. And yeah. that's how the only way they could move them. Otherwise, they couldn't so, move them. The, the thing that's most terrifying and the thing that really woke America up to the reality that oh shit we have a problem was yes as you mentioned it could travel across uh the english it could travel across the channel and hit london that was a big problem um but there were a lot of concerns of a second blitz but beyond that the v2 was the first object to hit the shock layer the carmen line it reached the edge of outer space and that was a big concern to the u.s mm-hmm. because uh as, so for all intents and purposes i've covered i covered this in uh first lightning but to that end uh the u.s really didn't have any clue how far along uh, they were in a nuclear weapons program but uh, as an alternative to the America bomber program, which I covered a little bit last time, uh, the V2 rocket program was intended to expand further and provide a delivery system for uh, for weapons of mass destruction, which we wound up doing, which is our, our main delivery system today is intercontinental ballistic missiles. And, and that's what, you know, for listeners new to this, that's what Paperclip was. It was a way to assure the U.S. got as many of the best minds as possible involved with this technology here. And, I mean, they got a winner uh, as far as technology innovation goes, not as a human, but innovation when they, when they got Von Braun, you know. Yep. So that rocket flew around over a thousand miles. And at the time, there was nothing like it before. So the list between Berlin and London is around a thousand miles. So... That scared them. Yeah. And, you know, so the the V2 program is definitely what drew them toward finding out who was responsible for it. And Warner Von Braun was at the top of the list to be recruited. Um, obviously, with everything else that goes along with that came a laundry list of engineers and, and so on that needed to help build these weapons. And um, obviously, the corresponding increase in German populations across the U.S., notably in Alabama, where Dr. Von Braun was actually uh, propped up to continue his research, uh, which is where he worked for the most part after he got to America. Uh, which is was so weird. Of all places, the Saddle program. Which yeah, well, yeah, they put him in. So, <laughs> yeah, it had to, to be the military ba- related to the military around yeah, at the so, time. Yeah, Redstone Arsenal. Uh, for for all for all intents and purposes, they have 
you know, this is another subject. We could definitely talk about this at some point. But the uh, the interstate highway system is not created on accident, right? It right. is. It the is an intercon- it, it is. It is. That was its true function. That's what it was designed for. Every single interstate highway will connect all points for U.S. military bases. You take a topographic map, put U.S. military bases over that, and overlay that with interstate highways. You are going to find a U.S. military base within 30 miles of it. That is a fact. But at any rate, so uh, you know the research that he did led to the Saturn program, which is uh, as Morpheus you mentioned. Um, putting together something that could go into orbit a, a functioning space station, right? The Saturn program that Werner von Braun is directly credited for developing. Uh, and yeah, I can let the video speak from here. Oh yeah. This is a great little piece. Hang on. Yep. I need, I need, I need sound. Yes. That would, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> What is going on here? No. I totally turned it on. I'm, I apologize. Everybody. No, it starts off like that because it's an old film, and then the sound kicks in. Oh, there you go. That was the, the noise I heard then. Oh, that was the static. Okay. No problem, no problem. I apologize. I'm going to get it straight. It just, I hit the share sound button, and it was being like, Rrr. Well, um, there's undoubtedly a a prestige element involved in being the first on the moon, but uh, I think the real significant thing about the Apollo program, our lunar landing program, is that it uh, serves as a focusing point for a vast uh, scientific and technological effort that could never... uh, have been mounted and uh, conducted with this kind of uh, determination had it not been for a firm target in in space and time. In other words, uh, you cannot have a hard-hitting program uh, where you uh, when you don't have a, a clear objective, like let's land a moon, uh, let's land a man on the moon in this decade. If you say, just let's go out into space and see whether we find it interesting, uh, you spend most of your time arguing with other people what the more important things are, you don't get a job done. Uh, You also don't get congressional support for this kind of a thing. And uh, uh, so it is really the byproducts of the Apollo program that are more important than a timely landing on the moon itself. Yeah, that's um, intense. So, uh, yeah, um, I've never seen that. I've never seen that interview before. Yeah. And this same, you know, guy for our listeners is, you know, the first person to come up with what he called himself concepts for orbital warfare. And this, this all ties in um, to alien tech, uh, as a lot of people know, 
when it with general admiral Byrd, and this this is all part of paperclip because Byrd. Well, let's back up a little bit and let's go to where how Paperclip leads to NASA, because, I mean, you you, you got all of these guys coming in here, which which leads to like the formation of NASA and using this these rocket technologies and stuff like that, that they're using to to go into how they're you know, how they're going to move forward with this technology. You know, they, they and a lot of it actually doesn't even start even with like aerospace and such, you know, it actually starts with a lot of like ocean stuff. Cause when you get deep into where NASA, NASA comes from, a lot of it was more like sea based Naval type things in its, in its origins. And then when the, when these paperclip guys come in and all these scientists, rocket scientists start coming in, they start venturing towards the, you know, towards the air and, and with the, and you know, the Admiral bird thing that, um, in between this creation of of NASA and Admiral Byrd, you've got and you were just getting there, but you've got some of these uh, some of these other weird operations where they start launching these rockets mm-hmm. into the atmosphere in like Hopper, Operation High Jump and Operation Fishbowl, where they're out in the middle of the ocean and they're like blowing off nuclear weapons, basically like shooting right. them off and, into the air. And, um, and there's well, there's different theories on EMP. those tests. That's how they discovered EMP. Yeah, and to prove your point, Jimmy, about it kind of starting off navally, um, as you mentioned, Operation Hard Track um, is the first time NASA shot one of their, it was the Redstone rocket. Um, there was the 50th Redstone rocket successfully launched, and they started that at Johnston Atoll. That is the same place where Operation Fishbowl also detonated yep. nuclear weapons. Yeah, that was the airburst tests uh, in the early '60s. I remember talking about that one. This is also around Bikini Atoll, where uh, SpongeBob uh, resides, right? (laughs) And where where Jimmy's cousin uh, always presents the show. No, no, no. I mean, (laughs) hey, wait, wait! Before we start doing cousins and such, because if you look up the address for SpongeBob's house, it goes to Jeffrey Epstein's house. So, (gasps) oh, jeez. Oh, oh God, Christ! And that's went, a fact. You can actually type in into Google Maps. You can type it in, and it'll take you to Jeffrey Epstein's house if you type in SpongeBob's house. And a lot, a lot of these, the lot of these Nazi scientists that were citizens and not working for the military worked for Avco Corporation, which yep. was part of Operation Fishbowl and a larger, you know, with the larger op Operation Dominic. Um, nuclear test program. So that, you know, for people listening, all these Nazi scientists that we recruited were put into obviously very important parts of development of technology on a wide scale. People believe that actually we did not have the final details for actually building a nuclear bomb until the scientists came. Because if you look at the timeline, it was two months after they came that we actually had a functioning nuclear weapon. We, and weird enough, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, the so that's actually an excellent point. So I talked about this a little bit in our final installment of First Lightning. Uh, we did not fully understand how to split an atom to create fissile material, which is obviously that was the 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 key item needed in order to 
make a combustible nuclear weapon, the first atom bomb, um, the Trinity test. That was a that was a bad time, and yeah, all of those tests were conducted in the in the atolls and the. I apologize. I had a weird spell. Yeah, no. Continue, though. Yeah, so really, the Soviets in the U.S. had recruited similarly, and it's interesting to know that the Soviets insisted on doing their tests during the day, and the Americans insisted on doing theirs at night as a form of study. We, we can figure out people are doing those types of tests now with just seismometers. And that's how we've realized uh, whenever the North Koreans are doing nuclear tests, we can just look at the seismometers. They're like, yep, they're doing an underground test again. Yep. And the Japanese did an underground test in Korea. And that's how most of the public did not know that Japan had a nuclear weapon active working a week before uh Nagasaki, Hiroshima, mainly before Nagasaki, a week before. So that's like I, I, I mentioned that before. But yeah, Japan had a nuclear program and they were actually successful. The, the irony of Hirohito's and I'm I don't know, I won't infer if he actually knew what the hell was going on or not. But the irony of that is delicious because his statement when he officially gave the stand down order and surrendered was that America had used cruel bombs. So that gives you pause for thought. Was he even aware that Japan was working on a nuke? Probably not. The firebombings were worse than the nuke. Absolutely. Uh, In Germany and Jerusha, like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of not. They don't cover that. They don't cover the firebombings. Yeah. I mean, Iron Pants was absolutely brutal. And the the firebombing runs over Japan. That 70 percent of Japan was destroyed. Yeah. They cr- that the high winds that that created wound up creating fire tornadoes that literally did more damage than the bombs themselves. Kind of like the one that killed Paradise, California, a while back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to Jimmy's point, I'd like to go ahead and address, uh, and I can I can kind of sum this up pretty quickly. Uh, so the creation of NASA, right? So obviously NASA as an institution came about under Eisenhower, he's the one that officially made NASA a thing, but it did exist prior to that. July uh, 2958. Yeah, but prior to that, it did exist in a, a another means. Essentially, that was, I forget what is, let me look this up real quick what they call it. it was it was similar to nasa but it's not the same acronym <laughs> naca national advisory committee for aeronautics so essentially uh naca had been around since right after second world war right and uh they were based on propulsion uh, they had taken the existing body of knowledge that we did have at the time uh, based on what we knew about Werner von Braun and then uh, what we had learned from uh, Fritz von Opel and, and Max von.
please, if and it happens again, don't stop. Just continue. I don't know yep. what's going and, on on my end. Okay. And yeah, I, again, to that end, also the, the creation of uh, Morpheus, as you've mentioned before, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, which we know today is DARPA. Yeah, uh, yeah worked with Sputnik. Yep. So the, the, the panic over Sputnik, obviously, was probably the most direct contributor from them converting NACA into NASA and putting Werner von Braun in charge of it um, kind of aligned with that need to beat the Soviets to the moon. Wow. Because we had to stay ahead of them. Well, we could also talk about how Zoom says I'm not in meeting. You're here. Yeah, I'm I here. Uh, I can see just, it's glitching. It's glitching out. So I was just saying, maybe restart the system so you don't get more crashing. Want to pause right here? Yeah, we can do that if you need to. I think pause for a moment, restart the system, and we start again because I could, I try to message you directly, and it just said you are not available. And I'm like, okay, there's definitely something seriously. And that kind of like brings me though to like Operation High Jump and like Admiral Byrd and shit like that and all the weird shit that went on dealing with him because there was a whole bunch of crazy shit going on th during that time. I know Black Pill was looking into it like. Yeah. I, ahead, and, you know, Jimmy, I got to say some of your earlier TikToks about this uh, were amazing. Right. And kind of got me to look into it more than I already vaguely knew. And so for this episode, I started last night, I fell asleep looking it up and I woke up today and I was looking up more and I found out that after Bird died and he was a decent human being, even though he was in the military, he was good to people. He wasn't a raper. He wasn't a weirdo. He was just a good old boy. His son, upon clearing out one of his homes to sell it, found a diary of his and published this diary which look i was gonna pull up but i totally was trying to pull it up before we had technical difficulties so i think that's something that i'm not gonna pull up again while we're having no, a, that's okay. a conversation it's i'm gonna share it. i am gonna share it for everyone in the in, uh to get back to because i do recommend it so we we were gone over paperclip we've gone over the history of skunk works we've gone over all these things and they all started around the same time period as each other okay and with the nazi scientists and so this good old boy was the first person him and his partner to fly over the north pole that was a big deal and he came back with photos and he was like, hey yeah well yeah that's where i'm heading and so he was like hey this is gonna be um we this is a problem the Russians are going to take this over up here. It's full of resources. Here are the photos. So they're like, you know what? You're a hero. We like you. You're going back to the, you're going to Antarctica now. And so in Antarctica, in his personal diaries, this man depicts, and he's, you know, he's not just, you know, he's not trying to make shit up. He's, his job is to write everything down that happens. He, he depicts, depicts Earth. His, just say it. Yeah, he depicts his aircraft being captured by some kind of something, communicating with him over the radio in English with like an accent, he said, but in English telling him that he wasn't in danger, they were going to land him, and that they wanted to speak to him. I like and, to imagine they sounded like the Swedish chef. Yeah, he comes to realize that outside his windows, he sees weird 
bell-shaped and disc-shaped craft. And then they have Nazi swastikas on them. So he's scared, right? And he, they start to talk to him and tell him to calm down. They land him and he speaks to these humanoid-esque people who live in what he calls a crystalline city. And they invited him there because they thought he was an admirable, honest human being who was intelligent, that would relay a message for them, and that it was our use of this nuclear technology for weapon systems was going to destroy the balance of our known universe or plane of existence. And this is in his diaries. Um, and I would just kind of like to get your your all takes. I know, Jimmy, you know a lot about this. Oh, man. And I this is one of my favorites. Like, I'd like to, you know, you guys to elaborate on. on so this that. is so this is this is one of my favorite like things to talk about, because like like he does totally like lay out all these flight plans and plans and stuff. And then you get down the road years later and they're trying to after being paraded as a hero and after being paraded as like this super awesome adventurer, the last of his kind, he gets turned into a uh, nutso and everybody's trying to like discredit him and say Art. that all his stories were, you know, complete garbage and stuff. And I was just, you know, and when you really read his diary, which I do recommend, I I've read it twice. I highly recommend. Um, and he, you know, he talks about all this stuff and sure, maybe are a few things sensationalized quite possibly, but there's a lot of this stuff in here that you're just like, where the fuck did he come up with this? How did he make this up? Because you're not just pulling some of this stuff out of your ass. No. And to touch on like the, the, the swastika thing, like this goes back, this ties back into a lot of like ancient history and stuff, yeah. because like I try to point out to people that much like my flag, there's ancient symbolism mixed into the swastika that has to do more with telling time and you know the yeah, moving man. of the stars and stuff like that it was it, which is which is a real one of those kind of occulty type tied to the planet kind of things and to know that you know to see that he found these there and to actually see him found in a lot of other weird places that you're not used to finding them kind of to me paints a little bit of truth into it and because you're like people as intelligent and polite and oh yeah he's yeah yeah advanced his shock because he said the symbols based on what he was taught to believe had him believe one thing about what they meant and then he comes across the civilization that's highly advanced and they're like look we don't want any problems but if you guys don't stop and we're going to start sending more of our aircraft into your airspace and they even mentioned to him that they didn't appreciate us firing at their aircraft when they were trying to hover right. over nuclear bases, which are widely reported UFO sightings in the United oh, States. The 1960s event. Yeah, so they were hovering over these bases because they were concerned that the technology we were using was going to destroy the entire planet that they also live on. And so it, it's really um, something to expound upon, in my opinion. Um, to to go back a little bit, I know where Louis Luis is about to take this. Um, he just sent me something that goes back to dude's trip to the North Pole. Um, something I want to point out is that ninety percent of your NASA photographs that you have are computerly digital and stuff like that. And as NASA will tell you themselves, they have to be and yeah, whatever. It's made it's made the same way I make memes. But when we do come across real photos, they do 
do a really good job of trying to cover him up. And one of the th- one of the real photos that has always intrigued me is supposed to be of like the North Pole because oh, yeah. because you know everybody says that the North Pole is a cold place and you never want to go to it. But when you go back in history, not only do you have the Tree of Life or the gigantic magnetic black rock that even uh, you know Admiral Bur- Bird speaks of, you have a lot of rumor of the entrance into what is considered inner earth or hollow earth and this he is one of this diary. is yes and this is one of the only what i consider or what you really can look at when you break it down because there's no computer generated anything in this image is that it really does have this weird dark center where the north north pole should be you know like this is another one of those areas that not a lot of people can go and go ahead luis i know you wanted to talk a little bit i don't want to take spotlight from anybody no 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 no. uh so look at look at the site i just sent you that the second image is the flight paths uh, over the north pole if you see you notice that all of them have a particular they leave an empty hole blank i i do actually know that you have to question when you're going over the north pole in order to save fuel because it makes sense. Like a lot of flights right. that go through through Alaska, Alaska, Anchorage, people don't know. The Anchorage airport in Alaska is one of the highest trafficked airports on earth, mainly for cargo, but literally one of the highest traffics on the planet. When 2020 hit, that airport got so much traffic. Like they had never had that much traffic ever um, because there was such a high demand for aerial um, package delivery. <clears throat> But if you check out that website, like the second image shows the the flight paths of the, all the planes. The Inquisitor website or the, no, the, the great picture, that, Hall, um, the great picture to that, NASA fo- to that photo you just showed. Um, Admiral Byrd also mentions over Antarctica. Um, Another entrance frozen place, much like the North Pole. And then once he starts having his craft controlled externally, it leads him to a place where his temperature says it's 74 degrees outside and there's plants. And he describes what sounds to be a woolly mammoth in his own words uh, in the grass fields. And so, I mean, it's not absurd to believe that there could be a whole ass civilization on Antarctica that we know nothing about because none of us have ever been there. It's Every, really can't expensive. Go. I mean, it's super, go it costs too much to go. You can get yes. close on a cruise ship. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, but if, if you want to actually go there, it costs. Pro- it's extremely. Yes, expensive. but you, but you're 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 not free to really do anything. Yeah, you can only experience the like, areas that they allow you to experience. Well, if you have yeah. if you have unlimited <laughs> money, you can do almost whatever you want. If you go in the right season, though. Because there's a particular season where it is possible to travel in in the Antarctic, and that's the time where they do the majority of the work. Uh, you can yeah. look up like there's a particular time where the weather is fair enough yeah. that you can travel pretty much anywhere. There was a uh, but uh, their the, winter is our summer. The, the our the summer things, is their winter. The things that always interest me the most about the where the the Antarctic bases are actually situated are not even close enough meaningfully to be close to the um the geographic south pole right 
like it, it's it's almost like by design they so all right let's let's actually speak up let's just, since we're leading into that because that is an interesting thing there yeah. is that that is something i do like to actually point out to a lot of people is there is only one treaty on this entire planet that all of these countries actually respect. agree on yeah. and respect and follow which yeah. is the antarctic treaty and yeah. and Let's be real. Let's look at every treaty. I mean, if you took the time to go dig through treaties and stuff like that, America, the most doesn't respect them worth anything. But yet you do have these people that actually do respect the Antarctic Treaty. And that's why it costs so much for you to go there, because you can't go. What is it? The past with without these privileges? What is it? The 62nd or 68th parallel or something? You can't go past on a regular by yourself boat without getting scooped up by um, who's ever out there patrolling. Right. And it's not uh, it's not um, a coincidence that the Antarctic Treaty was signed in 1959 at the same time. All these other events that we have been discussing, the same time period of all these things were happening and these alien craft or whatever you want to call them, other race, not human race craft that were seen going back to part one of this episode have been shot down shot at reverse engineered so now we don't there is ufos but we don't know if it's an unidentified flying object of a military or arctic, or, or exactly our technology or or old technology or another or yeah or un, another world technology of our planet's technology interdimensional technology it has a lot of different the term aliens to me can mean a lot of things just it's alien to us us humans right it doesn't mean that it hasn't necessarily been on earth and we just didn't notice because we can't even go to the bottom of the ocean or explore Antarctica all the way. So there's a lot of terrain of the planet that very well could be hosting these other, what we think are aliens. We don't know 90, in, 90% of the earth. We don't know it. What is most requirements for Noah's vetting requirements to even go to an Antarctic expedition is absolutely absurd too. not to just to mention to Lewis's point. It's, it is prohibitively expensive, but uh, yeah, there are requirements to even get vetted to even visit Antarctica. So do you think that they will allow the treaty to run out in a few more years when it's supposed to actually run out? Or do you think they'll, uh, I bet they'll continue it. it. I bet they would renew it. Yeah. That's my thought. The only way I could see them not forty thousand dollars is if they needed some kind of wartime economy. One hundred and forty. The only way I see them not renewing it is if collectively global superpowers needed a wartime economy boost, and it could be used as a, a proxy war location for new technology. One hundred and forty. No, I see now. Now see now. Here's where I'll get you know captain conspiracy on you that's not that they're it's not that they're developing new new stuff down there that's where they're unicing everything bro they keep yeah. finding this stuff that's where the yeah, germans went down there bro the they're hiding stuff underneath wait, the ice wait, you've seen the pictures from even google maps that show clearly there's pyramids and well yeah. not just that what about what about all the if you go digging through antarctica what about all the areas that are blurred what about oh, yeah, the there's whole sections of the map that is completely blurred. blurred. Just blurred out. Nothing's map. here. Can, Don't worry about this. You you could buy the images, but you have to find. Okay, so there's ways to get those images, but the problem is to buy the whole section of Antarctica is also probably very expensive. But you can get 
real pictures of Antarctica. We just yeah, have to pay also, for them. Yeah, and also on Google Maps in the Antarctic, there's areas where it's clearly something fell and crashed. Oh, remember that? That's a great one. You can see somebody there's drags it out. There's a bunch of them, dude. There's dozens of them that I've found in these different groups. I said I joined on the last one, all these different ufology and like crazy groups that I joined just to watch people's actual footage and like research and stuff. Um, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of crash sites in the Antarctic for a place that's not supposed to have. I've had, I've had, I've had uh, uh, two, two actually fellows that are really good and tied to this kind of research um, on the show. One of them multiple times, the one, um, re- more, the one more recently, of course, was Bart Siebel. You know, he's always out there asking the tough questions and stuff like that to a lot of these astronauts and stuff. And, you know, a lot of that stuff, when you actually get into his work, he is talking about like Antarctica a lot and a lot of this stuff that they're hiding, like these these blurred yeah. out spaces and these these so-called crash sites or these pyramids or what's oh, under oh, the oh, ice. Oh, like, you know, because he, he he's definitely on that level of there's totally bases or something under the ice, just like there's something like... Like Admiral Byrd flew into something in the North Pole, and Admiral Byrd flew into something in the South Pole. South like Pole. he found something. It was two different groups of people. It was two different, two entirely different things. And the, what's wild is, is in the South Pole, he said he knew he was safe, even though he was scared, and he knew that these people or whatever they were were not there to harm him, and that's incredible. You know what I mean? So when he gets back, they basically, you know, they built, they, uh, Bill Cooper, them, they Alex Jones, them look at this crazy buck. You know what I mean? Like, and everyone's like, yeah, what's wrong with you saying all this? And he died people thinking he was a crazy bastard. And, but his son literally found this proof. So Jimmy's got that link in our section for this. You guys dive deep. It's insane. We and we also just touched a little of it. You, you you can actually also the last time I had Brad Olson on, um, he was diving deep into his Antarctica trip because he actually got to take one, and he'll even tell you flat out That's that awesome. there's that there's things out there that are unexplainable by man, and there's and there is definitely areas that even him with all his money and clearance that he got was not allowed to go to. Like they just would not allow him, and that kind of ties back into some stories I've been reading recently too of that are like true stories that I'll definitely share some links to but there's there's this doctor that came back from a trip down there in Antarctica and he's got stories of giant spiders that were you know in areas underneath the ice and stuff like that and like even you know repairing people that had been attacked by these giant spiders you know so there's like some truth to this story because you know what what was this doctor trying to gain he was he never really gained anything from this other than that same kind of harassment and such but you know people just calling him nuts but he's got like some really in-depth story about it and i'll make sure i share that with you guys because it's just kind of mind-blowing because there's definitely things going on in like antarctica and like the north pole because we're they have convinced us that we don't need to go there because it's too cold or it's too dangerous or COVID it's too restrictions something. made it worse and um, you know then and then they but, made like legal restrictions and stuff like that and i think that it has a lot to do with things like you know these where why the nazis were going there and um you know reversed alien technology or even just aliens in general because I'm I'm a firm believer in believing that the aliens are coming from in the ocean and inside Earth and not from outer space. Like that's just a thing of mine. If you guys follow me on the regular, oh, you hey, know that that's me. Jimmy, so Jimmy, um, the new upgraded version of the Dolly AI, the 
right? The upgraded one, they call it Crayon with AI in the middle, right? Um, one of its developers that has more access to it asked it, what is the most secret thing on earth? And it showed what looked to be like uh, some kind of base or underwater city at the bottom of the ocean uh, in detail with like living pods in like weird craft. I have um, access to the new Dali system if you want to try it right now. Yeah, I, I got I, I got it. But dude, I for sport, if I'm like hanging out, I ask it weird. Well, you, well, you know, speaking speaking of that kind of like that weird little AI system and doing that, um, I shared something with Morpheus earlier that I think I've shared with everybody else this week. And it's 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 super interesting thing. That's I've seen somebody do kind of dealing with this kind of stuff because, you know, when you get into talking about this NASA stuff, another big subject that's part of it is that they fake the original moon landing. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that will totally believe that they, you know, that they fake the original moon landing. Like, you know, you can you can pick on me if you'd like, like it's totally OK and understandable. Why can't we go back? Oh, no, that's a great question is why, you know, why can't we go back? And why so, did we destroy the telemetry? And right, so, how is it that we can't go back though? That makes no check this out. sense to anyone with more than four brain cells. That's that unless you're just an absolute zombie, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I I addressed I loosely talked about this last time, but I have a thought. Fake moon landing stuff from from the AI. Like I just thought that was crazy. Yeah, so I, 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 so I, I have a thought. So whether or not the original moon landing was faked, uh, I do believe we did go to the moon. Me too. But uh, having not gone back, my theory is that the technology we used to get there was not all our own. And that technology is gone. That's a very good possibility. I don't think you can land. I don't think you can land. I don't think you can land a rocket on a plasma. So right. And just, well, let's say it's a rock for argument's sake. Let's just pretend it is, right? <laughs> I, I, um, they, they, like Tristan said, if that race of humanoids or whatever you, whatever, right, that helped us with that tack was like, these humans are shady as fuck. <laughs> I don't want to, we're not, we're not doing anything together again. Um, it's a pretty logical it, I mean, I said this in First Lightning, but I said, if there is any one thing that humans are good at, it's that we are great at finding new ways to kill each other. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, if we're not good at anything else, we are good at that. Finding but, new creative ways to kill but, each other. You know, like, like looking at all of like this, you know, like a lot of this alien stuff and looking at like this An Antarctica stuff and, you know, looking at the things that NASA has been involved in in places like Antarctica and right. out in these oceans close to out there and such like that. And all these Nazis that were involved in it and such, you know, it's 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 curious to wonder what is going on in the in, you know in the underground and in the under ocean and in under this ice and i think that'll be some um you know some great things that we will be bringing up in the next segment that goes on into uh like blue beam and stuff because that all that's where all of this kind of ties together is you know yeah. they all these guys came together you know after war after all this crazy war stuff to move forward in weird weird type science projects that have I led to some crazy so things today elite, jimmy the so-called elite realized they weren't as elite as they thought 
when they discovered these older, more advanced Earth civilizations, and they were like, okay, um, fuck you, but let's get to work. Um, we have to conquer this because we need to stay in power. I mean, that's just me, though. That that all you know that's definitely like a a, a a good theory about it and stuff. It does make sense. Like, but you know, it's just it's interesting to see how this started as you know like a war machine and then turns into just all these massive massive conspiracies all tied in. They kind of tie back into one, you know, because when you we, this all or originates at Skunk Works and things that Lockheed Martin were working on, and then you know their influence had a lot to do with like Operation Paperclip and stuff, you know, and you oh, know yeah. that and you know that their influence and stuff had a lot to do with going on these on these ventures that they were sending like Admiral Byrd and other scientists that we probably never even heard of to go and check these areas at like the North Pole and the South Pole and whatever they found in or around them. And like, there's, there's, again, I, I have to just emphasize, there's a reason that they make from the time you're a kid, the North Pole is painted to you as a cold place that only Santa Claus and his elves can live in. <laughs> Seriously. And so, you know, that deters anybody from ever wanting to ever actually go there. But there's no true footage of the true exact point of the North Pole, like out there on the Internet. There's areas that they claim are. There's areas that that, that I've seen that, you know, it's all cold and icy and they're like, oh, this is the North Pole. But when you really look at it, the best the best photo of the North Pole we have is that one that Luis sent to me that looks like you're going into a giant hole like that's the the most like checked and tried to and attempted debunked photo of it that that we really have so that begs the question is when when they brought over this technology and this information that the nazis had already found because you can't tell me that von braun and all these other guys just came up with this stuff what did you guys say like a few months after coming over and stuff like right it's not a coincidence like no there's you know they, they were working on it they had to have been working on it for quite some time and had to have already seen things that you know altered their viewpoints i guess into wanting to work on things like the clock and the or the bell the die glock or whatever and the uh the other weird you know crafts that they were making like they were i mean it's definitely in the reason we have the uh international space station yeah 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 you know and they were definitely into like making some weird things so it begs the question you know like what when they brought each other together and then they started going together on these trips to these other worldly type claimed areas, like what, you know, what did they find? What did they dig up? What did they find out there in, in area 51 on, you know, in this giant underground bunker? Cause I mean, by this time, you know, area 51's up and going real well too. And when yep. you get into some of the real statistics of that place, it's a giant underground yeah. bunker. And like, we're, where where are they making all this time to make all these underground things like the right, lot yeah. of these things that yeah. are, like a I, lot the, of these the, go ahead sorry the the one thing that's always stuck out to me about area 51 is our earliest knowledge of it to the public is 1947 the roswell incident right everyone right. is familiar with that but it is an uh, a holistically underground network of not just one facility but at area 52 mm-hmm. the other substations that connect the entire uh, nevada test range yeah. how long had that network existed before the public knew about it 
and not like, and not just that. Terrifying. It's terrifying. It just that. Underground. When did they find Seriously. it? Because see, to me, when right. you start thinking about all this stuff and the and the the schematics and the size and the abilities and capabilities and stuff of this base and the way it sprawls underneath there like were these were a lot of these tunnels already there in this like inner earth type thing like because when you get into ancient uh you know native american folklore and stuff one of a big key aspect that comes from a lot of their folklore and a lot of their history is you know however you want to take it is that they their ancestors came from underground and me and bandit have talked about this before how you know during the ice age a lot of these people took off into these underground areas and you know lived in these caves and such and these yep. underground systems so was this area 51 52 maybe even other ones that we don't even know about were they places that they found at some point in time and they just kind of like revamped them for what they were doing you know were these ancient technologies that were there and just lost like this gets on my on my craziness of you know we we found deep underground some kind of ancient ai that you know could have been given us some of this technology to reverse engineer to get to these amazing feats in science and technology in such a short short period of time i mean that quantum leap we've had since the transistor has been so extraordinary and, yeah absolutely and really i mean it is also a product of human ingenuity to an extent so it's a mix of both you could say like a mix of the potentiality that, that there is something off about how fast we altered things, but also you have to re realize that human beings are incredible. And a lot of the technological evolution has occurred exclusively because we were given the most powerful tool we could ever fathom time. Computers right. gave humans time exponentially. What we uh, somebody said before AI is evolving at 18,000 years per day or something like the 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 collective expression of how fast it can it can it has been evolving in relation to how we can compute things um, is massive and and that's what's really pushed up the overall evolution of our collective society. The problem is technology is evolving, but society isn't. So we still have to think of society in the same way we think of society in our history books, because that truly is how society is still governed, controlled and operated. Yep. But we have this idea that we that we're not like that, but we are. And, and I and I am a, a believer with Jimmy in the sense, too, that there is nothing new under the sun. I mean, there really isn't like it would be insane to believe that in the vast never-ending universe listen they had cell phones time, in the 30s i can show you this pictures is the first time some kind of tech has i want to see that you know there i can show you pictures i can show you a video of a lady that was holding up a cell phone oh, a lot like mine yeah. from the 30s talking about how this is going to be the future and this is in like the early 30s and stuff and this this helps to add I to remember my that point. video it is an interesting video this this I, I like that i like to have this helping to my point that they're they're always 30 at 
at the least, at the least, the, the ones in like NASA and such and these guys working on this technology are at least 30 years ahead of what they plan on releasing to us. This is like this is why yeah, we had sure. some of this technology, you know, back then and they slowly but surely released it out. You can't convince me that during, say, the Cold War that you totally didn't have some of them spies out there running around with a device identical oh, yeah, they were they this. were testing it in the field you know what i'm saying yeah. so just you know, they like, test that kind of stuff and then they release it and they test it and release it and i've always been a guy that believes that some of the you know some sure some of these ufos that we've seen 150 million percent totally a mixture of things that are traveling in between dimensions but inside in and out of earth and you know maybe to other planets through dimensional travel and such but then you've also got the american versions of them or the military versions of them where they have you know they've got their hands on some of these devices through whether it be wrecks in places like antarctica or deserts out near area 51 and they've you know reverse engineered a bunch of this tech to create their versions of it you know and that's that's why you've got some of these crazy like we covered in the skunk works thing that's why you've got some of these crazy ass spaceship airplanes going yeah, on they, that, as you mentioned i remember during that episode Luis, you can't even see with the naked eye unless you've seen one landed on the ground you'd never even know that some bitch was up there above your head like 100 i mean that the, the the thing is, at the end of the day, SR-71 Blackbird came out in the 60s and it was supposedly still in use until the 90s because we didn't have any at least available open tech that was accessible uh, for certain reconnaissance for certain details. But now we have satellites. So that's part of the reason the SR-71 Blackbird project was turned off because it really didn't hold any military. Like, it wasn't an attack vehicle. It was strictly a surveillance vehicle. And it was so fast that it could escape any attempt of, of destroying it by means of missiles. And now the it was new one. faster than most missiles. Now we have missiles that go at a 7,000 to 10, um, I think over 7,000 miles per hour. So now we could blow up the SR-71. Yeah, and the son of Blackbird is designed to carry a weaponized payload as well. You know, That's scary. So, and it's, uh, you know, unmanned, as we discussed in the last because the, Because of the Gs. The thing about it is that I'm just saying so that this we were going to be unmanned for the future because of so the G-forces. This is a technology that has the ability to be autonomous, potentially that we reverse engineered potentially from technology that we don't really understand potentially. So it could either be like something super powerful or it can just be another one of humanity's great. I mean, goes so back interested. to Bob Lazar. Goes, that goes to Bob Lazar, which is definitely accounts. something I want to get into in the in on, when we do on our blue on our blue beam episode itself, because because that's kind of where all of this is accumulated. I mean, you've seen today in this conversation that all of this is starting to accumulate into, you know, things that how they've actually kind of used a lot of this stuff in a sense against us or for war or for other, you know, means necessary. And that's, that's definitely where I intend on taking this next one, you know, talking about like Bob Lazar and talking about dumbs and talking about, you know, the plans that these same people kind of laid out in operation right. blue beam or project blue beam or whatever and stuff, you know, like there's, they, they intended on using all of this, 
not for the good of humanity, I believe, even though that's where I think we're all going to take it, thanks to the advancements in technology and the internet and stuff like that. You know, you, yep. you were kind of touching at it there a second ago, Luis, you know, yeah, you're right. A lot of people are still stuck in that old world, we need to be ruled kind of thing. But that's the great thing about the internet. I think that it is showing us that we don't need these fucking clowny puppets up there calling the shots and passing all this ridiculous nonsense when I think we would do an excellent job of helping each other govern ourselves through the means of the internet and stuff like that. Like the, the internet is a, is a beautiful thing. You know, like, you know, I, I, I can never disagree about that because thanks to the internet, us four stooges can sit here on opposite ends of this country and sit here and have these amazing conversations and more. Right. It, yeah. Technology it can be terrible or beautiful. And I'm a firm believer that the good of humanity will make it be beautiful in the end. But I think that, you know, all people like us talking about it and showing people where to find it. Like, I think everyone today in the last episode did a good job um, of doing so. I mean, it's just wild stuff to, to really try to wrap your head around and maybe just stop arguing with each other about whose master is better than the other one. And, you know, just be nicer to people. I don't know, man. I just want to live, live free and be left alone. Yeah, man. Well, and I mean, and, and I mean, I'll be I'll be real with you. Like everybody is worried about where the technology is going. But I mean, you need as I like to mention constantly, it isn't going to take anything to wipe out all of your precious electricity and your precious technology. So you really need to be focused on things that don't involve that, because that's what's going to save you when the world truly gets to a, to a shitty place. Because, because, you know, human skills and human interaction is going to be key to surviving anything of what the future may hold because again the sun decides to flare at the right angle and this shit's gone we in don't get to minutes. talk to each other like this anymore so in eight minutes that's how fast the solar flare hits the earth eight yeah. minutes yeah we only and have eight minutes to turn off the majority of the global grid uh which isn't is technically kind of impossible there's sat there's a lot of satellites that are just literally aimed at the sun in order to predict this, there is a dedicated satellite that is exclusively just looking at the sun to try to predict, okay, this area, this direction, at this time, there's a high possibility. So some that we've actually raised it to hours of potentially, because there's been warnings and some people have, uh, you've seen the news. Uh, there's a very high likelihood of solar storms and it's happened. Uh, different countries, different places do get extreme distortions. Communications fail. This happened in Canada. There was a solar uh, storm that hit Canada and a portion of the grid was destroyed. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, no, 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 no matter what, no matter what technological advances we make, no matter how what the great things that AI can do for us and stuff, you know, the reality is, is that it can just vanish that the quick. Sun can so, just smack us. so people. People, people need to relax a little bit on their AI and focus more on themselves and their family and be a little happier. And that's, yeah, that's going to help. That's going to help raise the, raise the vibration so, of humanity, as I like to say, so that we can succumb all of this. Cause you know, we need some of these great minds on the other side to maybe help readvance some of this stuff after it all burns up. Cause the stuff's still going to be there, which is kind of what I feel anyway, is the, the stuff was there. The stuff was found. The stuff was tinkered with and toyed with until they figured out how to use it again. And it could happen again. And it's really just a matter of, you know, just, connecting with each other and hanging and I, out. As someone that works with the AI, I just, I hope 
my only goal of it is to make it better and not a dark future. You know what I mean? Like that's what I hope to obtain one day, even if I just work with other people to do it, because it's really up to us how it goes. We discovered this tech. Sure. But the, but if the person programming the AI has evil intentions or really. The good thing is there's also very hilarious humans. I sent you the link of the, an Antarctic base was discovered because the Strava app showed the outline of the base because the soldier walked the perimeter of the base and had a fitness application. Yep, one of those, one of those little fitness things. That is correct. Gave, and there's another so link of a whole he, military base. No, he this gave is away the location. He gave away the location of a military base in Antarctica. Yeah. But the fun part is the other link shows the entire outline, like line by line of the base. That's oh. hilarious. I'm looking at so any anyone with evil intent would now know the uh, Strava and the infrastructure the of the, walking of the, around of the, the anyone with evil intention would know the the uh, the layout of that garrison. That's Google <laughs> Google Google uh, knows all this. Thing. It's oh, incredible. Yeah. Oh, they took hey. out of Google took out. Don't be evil. They took it out of their 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 company motto. Interesting. Hey. Interesting. Jimmy, I got one for you, too. Uh, I shared this in the chat a little further up. Speaking of blurry, blacked-out locations on Google Earth. Baseboard. Yeah, I just, just, I just drag and drop that from Google Earth. Yeah, that I was... It. I found it. What the fuck is going on there? <laughs> It's a great question. It's fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of things is, hidden out there. That is a very that is a fully dry lake bed that is on the other side of the mountain from Area 51. That is where Bob Lazar has suggested that Area 52 is actually located. Right? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on there? Because that is an artificial construct. That is not organic in nature. No, not at all. So, you know, that's uh, that that. I think that'll tie in real well, though, when we start talking about like the underground bunkers and the plans that Bob Lazar actually even worked on and many more that turned out to be Project Bluebeam that were all, you know, blown out later in the 80s and stuff in a book that we'll be all recommending and stuff like that. But I think this is I think this has been great, like tying in all of this stuff from Skunk Works and, yeah. and NASA and Operation Paperclip and stuff. And and it's you know a really good foothold for where this stuff is. And of course you guys know I'm gonna share every single link that we talked about, plus a bunch that we didn't even really uh, we brought up but we didn't really show because of some weird recording issues that I had going on that I apologize for for everybody that was out there, you know, watching and stuff when it gets a little wonky, that's, that's on my end for some reason. So I appreciate everybody being sticking through on that. And I appreciate everybody that's out there listening and stuff. And I appreciate everybody that's out there supporting the show and all you guys for coming over here and helping me with this awesome project. Cause I think these are some great subjects and we'll, uh, we'll make sure we catch you guys on the next unconstitutional awakening podcast. You guys make sure you check out all our other stuff aside from our, uh, special episodes too, because we've got a ton of great content with a ton of great guests, always something going on just about every day. 
And so until next time, you guys, y'all have a fantastic evening. This has been another great episode. But I do have one thing to ask you guys before we pop out of here that I know Lewis has been waiting for all all night long, <laughs> haven't you, buddy? <clears throat> so let me ask you guys, how do you how do pirates know they are pirates? They think, uh, therefore they are. Good night, everyone. Okay.